Well, we are so excited to have Kathy Heller on the podcast today. Kathy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do justice on the bio. So let me read from my paper. She's the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, which has 30 million downloads. Although I think it's 40 million now. Not entirely sure, but you can tell us. Yes, it's now. It's now more. Yes. No, it's more so much better. more. Where Kathy encourages listeners to find more purpose, make an impact, and build an abundant life by doing what they love. She's interviewed Matthew McConaughey, Jason Mraz, Adam Grant, Bobby Brown, so many others. And she also has a book, Don't Keep Your Day Job. Kathy, you're an inspiration. You're a public speaker. You're a songwriter. It like I'll let you intro yourself to the audience, but hopefully I did it justice. You're very sweet. Thank you for all of those things. Thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more of uh, your background? What brought you to where you are today and the success? I love people so much. I really do. I think people sometimes say like, I'm a dog person. I'm a cat person. I'm like, I am a human person. I love people so much. And um, I think because I grew up and I... Like there's that movie, The Sixth Sense. And he's like, I see, I see dead people. Um, I didn't have that, but I, I guess I saw people and I would always have this conversation where I would like be talking to someone and I would say, do you see who does that? Like, you're so talented at that, or you're so brilliant, or that's amazing, or that could be a book, or that's your gift, or that should be a business. And I do that with everybody, like an Uber driver, a waiter, uh, my friends, my friends, parents. So I've just always been able to see this like magic inside of everyone. And then I have this gift, which is insane, where I'm like super influential in that enthusiasm. And then it's contagious and people go, I don't know what it is, but when we you know, left that conversation, I did go and do that. I, I actually, I did it. I started this cupcake business or I actually started painting and I'm so happy. And I, I feel like I give people a permission slip to be themselves and to make something messy and get rid of the need to make it perfect. And then once they're in that messy creative zone, they just bump into all this cool synchronicity. And so I've always been doing that and I turned it into a career, which is crazy. I didn't really intend to. Um, I came out to LA at 24 to get a record deal and I was signed to Interscope and then I got dropped from the label and then I was signed to Atlantic and I got dropped from Atlantic and I was like, oh man. And that's where everybody was like, give it up, like be real, get a real practical job. And so I did that. I got a bunch of jobs and I worked in a casting office and I was like, why am I in a casting office? Like, I never wanted to do this. I just saw the job on Craigslist. And then I was working in a real estate firm and a friend of mine was like, well, if you want to make money, you know, you're going to give up this like unrealistic dream, just make money. And you can make money either working in finance or you could work in real estate. So I was working in commercial real estate and I was so not myself. Um, I was doing okay. I was working for a guy who sold these $300 million shopping centers. And my job was to like go with him on appointments or get him like set him up with like a lunch with an investor. And then I would just like close deals. Like it was, it was, it was becoming golden handcuffs because I was making good money working for him. And he was nice. He was like nice to me. Mm -hmm. And I was making beautiful, you know, things happen in my life. I was driving a cute car and I was buying a couch at anthropology and eating sushi. And at, at some point I was walking to the office and I saw myself in the elevator doors and I was just like, 
broke into tears. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like I am living someone else's dream. This is not me. I don't care about making this money and I just want to be myself. I want to feel free. I want to feel expressed. I want to feel like I'm, I felt like a guitar that was holding a potted plant inside the empty part of the guitar rather than being a guitar. It was like, but this isn't what I came here to do. So I quit my job and I knew that I had like a few months of savings. So my parents were divorced and my mom and I had been on our own for a long time and I didn't have like parents to rely on. So I was like, I have a few months of savings. And I asked her a question I had never asked before, which was, is there any other way to do music and make a living? Because to me, it was either Beyonce or bust. It was either all or nothing, which I think a lot of people have that in their mind. Like either you get lucky and you do this thing that somebody else opens a door for you and you get your own TV show, you get your own book deal. Somebody else finds you, discovers you, have your big break. Either that happens or you wake up and smell the coffee and you go do something you don't like because it's realistic. So for the first time I asked a new question, which was, is there any other way to get paid to be me? Could I do music any other way? I had never asked that question. So I started to do some research. Like how else do artists make money if they're not on tour with a record label? Like what do they do? And I saw an article that week about artists who were licensing their music, their songs to Grey's Anatomy and Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill and Old Navy commercials. And I was like, wait, I didn't really know that this is a thing. Like, I didn't know Ingrid Michaelson didn't have a record deal. I've heard her song. I didn't know that these artists, like the Lumineers, I didn't know these people didn't have record deals. I just thought they were artists. I was like, oh, I know them from Heart of Dixie. Oh, I know them from the OC. I didn't realize that. So I'm like, why can't I do that? So I would pick up my phone and literally cold call ABC, Paramount, Disney. Like I would just find out who the music supervisor was. And I was so uncomfortable and so nervous. And somehow I cared more about what was on the other side of what could happen than how scared I was. And then I would call ad agencies. I would I would start Googling. I was like, oh my God, there's so many of these people. There's Ogilvy, there's Arnold, there's Young and Ruby Cam, there's Deutsch. I was like, oh my God, there's a Deutsch in not just San Francisco, but also in New York, also in Milan. Oh my God, there's no shortage of who I could call. So I just started calling all of these out agencies. And instead of talking, I would ask, really listen. And I would say, what are you working on? What story are you telling? And they say, well, we're doing an ad for Target and it's all about color. So we actually need a song about color. And I was like, oh my God, I went and wrote a song called Let Your Color Shine. And then I licensed it to them. And then I would talk to somebody at ABC Family, which is now Freeform. And she would say, well, actually, we need a song about uh, sisters. And I was like, oh, I'll write a song about sisters. And all my songwriter friends were like, that's what you did? That's insane. I'm like, why is that insane? I like made a phone call, talked to a human, asked her a bunch of questions. And then I got the job. Like They just kept giving me this money. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm making $500,000? This is insane. And so I was making all this money licensing music to film and TV. And then Billboard wrote this full page story about me. And then Variety wrote this full page story about me. And then the LA Weekly wrote this full page story. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get another record deal. This is amazing. But then that didn't happen. But what did happen was all of these artists started emailing me, DMing me online saying, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you do this? And one of my husband's friends was reading the LA Weekly. And he's like, I just read this on my lunch break. This is insane. Like, this is a business. You should be helping other songwriters. And I was like... Um, you're obviously insulting me because you don't think I'm a great artist. He's like, no, you're not hearing me. It's a yes and. Like mm -hmm. everybody who's creative is a hyphen. Like 
Amy Schumer is writing and directing and she's an actress. P. Diddy is making vodka and he's making music. Like this isn't hyphen for you. You should be helping other artists. And I was like, oh. So I started a little course, which I didn't know I was starting. I just did a workshop in my living room for 10 people and they loved it. They were like, do it again. So then I rented a theater and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could rent theaters, but theaters are dark during the day. So they, they rent them to you for like 50 bucks an hour. So I rented a theater. I started teaching these songwriting workshops. And then one of my songwriting students was like, this is actually applicable to anybody's, it's, it's any business. Because what you're doing is you figured out how to be creative and get paid. And all of the things that have to do with how you did that, it's not just about music. You could have applied that to any business. So I, I decided to start a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And then that podcast took off. And then Apple does this feature every January, New Year, New You, like the best shows for the new year. And for five years, they put us in that like top 10 thing. And then we were nominated for a Webby. And then the show just kind of blew up and it was word of mouth. And who knew COVID was coming two years later, but I had already built this big audience. And then all of a sudden the whole world was rethinking their jobs and there was a great resignation. And I was already there. I was already in that moment. I was already having the conversation about getting paid to be you, being paid on your own terms. And so um, I started doing workshops uh, in 2020 with people who wanted to go from idea to income. Like, how do I monetize the thing I love? How do I spend all day feeling like I don't have a job because I get paid to bake or teach or take pictures or make dresses? And I was like, I can show you how to do that. So I started these workshops and those workshops led to thousands of people creating careers for themselves. And I wrote a book about that. And um, and now I'm talking to you guys. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So there's two takeaways for me in that story. Number one is like curiosity, curiosity. Let it lead you to all those phone calls and be curious about the answers on the other side of the phone. But the second and more importantly, well, maybe they're equal, but more importantly is purpose. You talk a lot about purpose and we'd love to hear how do you define purpose? I think purpose is a feeling that you are contributing to somebody else, that you left the world better for another person. I think we're here to serve. I think we get sad when we're like ego obsessed, but when we're when we're connecting, when we're using our gift to 
make someone else's day because we set them up on a date with someone or we bought them a blender because they mentioned the other day that they wanted to make smoothies. Like the lift you get from that is everything. And they did a study actually at Harvard where they wanted to see if they could help people be happier. And people wrote down all the things they thought that would make them happier. And they said, great, what do you think it is? And they said, better sleep, more money, uh, more experiences to take care of myself, self-care, adventures, whatever it was. And so for a week, they gave people sort of an incubator of all the things that they said that they would want. And then they tested them through both blood work and also through psychological eval just to see like, are they happier? And nothing actually changed. The cortisol levels were the same. The serotonin was the same. So then the following week, they said, come back and we're going to try something else. And instead, they put them through a series of activities where they gave things away. They held the door for somebody. They gave away a thousand dollars. You know, they, they just did all these things. And then they did the same study at the end and they were visibly happier. Mm. Um, and so when we are living out that sense of purpose and generosity, we feel so abundant, we feel so connected And that's to me what purpose is about. So the reason I try to help people to create a living getting paid to be them is because it's actually an amazing way to take your gift seriously. Like if you have a hobby also, the difference between a hobby and a business is that if it's a hobby, you don't really need to think about anyone else. But if it's a business, that means by definition, there's some economics involved, which means some other human gave you money, which means somebody else needed or wanted what you gave them, which means you had to have this thing called radical empathy. And you had to think, not just do I love to paint, but where's the intersection of loving to paint and painting something that somebody else would love? And that's actually a good thing. And we're meant to use our gifts in that way, right? Like Michelangelo he was commissioned to paint the Sistine Chapel and it's one of the most beautiful things ever. And he didn't come up with where he was going to paint or what he was going to paint. They told him to sort of depict this like opening sequence of biblical stories. And it doesn't matter that they told him exactly what to paint because it's his gift. It's the marriage of his gift and what related to their heart that makes this so powerful. And so there's a way in which when we do that, we feel the most joy. And I think that's why having that process of creating a business can actually lead you to really cultivating your gift, showing up for it, pushing through the shame, pushing through the... I think sometimes with our gifts, right? We bow out way too soon. Like I heard Ed Sheeran say about songwriting, that if you went to Vermont... And you hadn't been there in a few months and you went to go ski with your friends for the weekend. If you turn on the water faucet, it's going to be brown. But if you wait like six seconds, it's going to be clear, right? Like it's just that pipes haven't been used in a minute and that's just kind of how it works. He said, when we're first writing songs or first doing anything, you're going to kind of write your way through that brown sludgy water. And by song 12, song 41, like the songs just start to be so beautiful because you get out of the way of trying to predict it and you sort of allow for this something to come out of nothing moment. And it's amazing what you can create. I think most people just do not give themselves that space. And so what they do is they live a lot of an unhappy day because they say, well, 
I don't really want to get out of bed. I know what's going to happen today. It's not going to be that interesting. I know what my gifts are. They're not that interesting. I'm not really that fulfilled. I'm not really that stimulated. And then because they're not vibrating at such a high level, they're kind of just feeling unfulfilled. Or that's where you see a lot of people like trolling on social media. They don't have anything going on. But if we were using our gifts all the time and feeling that sense of exhilaration and purpose and finding that zone of genius and really getting in the zone and moving through that brown sludgy water all the time, it's so fulfilling. It's so invigorating that we feel alive. And then, you know, the world reverberates with that. And so that's kind of my own political movement is like get people busy with their own two hands in their zone of genius and look, watch how that'll affect their living room. Watch how that'll affect their neighborhood. Watch how that'll affect the world. I love that. So talking about purpose and, and the, you're saying hobby separate that because that's very like inward, like what, what things interest me. But when you're thinking about how you outwardly would express purpose, it's, it's really like what value are you creating for the world or your sphere of influence? Um, it is the way I'm, I'm interpreting that yeah. when you're, when you're helping, I guess, utilizing your gifts, identifying what those are to inform that value. And, and that starts the journey when you're teaching like idea to income and in this, this, if, if I'm capturing that correctly and helping someone in the workshops that you've done or the system that you create, uh, is that where you typically start? Do you start with like, Hey, let's figure out like, what is the value you create for the world? you in your general purpose. Is that, is that where you go to first? Yes and no. Yes and no in the sense that clarity always comes through action, you know, right? Elon Musk started at PayPal and now he's going to space. So Mm. I don't think you ever land on like, this is it. Because if you're really in the zone of creativity, you are going to go from fashion to music to real estate to like, you won't be able to stop how creative you are. Like there's not one and this is it. And until you know for sure, then you don't even begin. Like it would be the, you could do yourself a huge disservice. I think the point is that we have to get our hands messy and get in the game. So the first place we start is let's just pick something. So how do we pick something? We begin with making a list of like five things that just feel exciting. And then you close your eyes and you're like, of all these five things, which one makes me have the most butterflies? Great, let's start with that. Great, doesn't matter. Like yoga teacher, open a bed and breakfast, be a travel writer. But for some reason, when I close my eyes and I really think about like opening a bed and breakfast, I kind of freak out. Like I'm so excited. Like, great, let's begin with that. So then if you want to go from idea to income, the first, first thing you do, which is so great because it takes all the pressure off, is you find something about that you can test and give it away for free. So what does that mean? Well, there's five ways I've seen that people can make a living. Here's the ways. You can either make something. So you could make brownies. You could make a t-shirt. You could write a song. So you can, right? I used to license my music. I used to, you know, people make uh, vegan, you know, cake pops. You could also teach something. You could teach people how to write songs. I've done that, right? I used to do workshops and they actually wound up making millions of dollars, like teaching people how to write music for film. Like you can teach someone creative writing. You can teach someone Spanish. You could teach someone cooking. You could also curate something. Maybe you um, aren't the one who's going to teach photography and you're not going to sell your photography, but you're going to curate an evening of women photographers or black and white pictures of Coney Island. And you're going to do a whole series on that. And like people curate lots of things because that's their role. They don't want to be the talent, but they like to kind of pick up that and like maybe create an event for women entrepreneurs and just book the speakers and curate the event. 
And then another thing you could do is a service for someone. You know, you might like organizing. You might actually like the process of going into someone's home and like, ah, uh, like cleaning out their bathroom or their garage. Like that's a service. So it begins by testing that. So the first thing you do is you give someone the flan and your neighbor, you'd say, what do you think of flan? Do you like it? Do you like the custard in it? Do you like the, <laughs> do you like the consistency? You get feedback. You'd give someone an hour of organizing services and be like, how did this work for you? Did, did, would, would there have been something? And you get the feedback. So every business, whether it's Apple or Nike or Skippy peanut butter, what are they doing all the time? They want to get a focus group. They want your feedback, right? Why is Netflix more popular than ABC and NBC combined? They're constantly looking at data. They're constantly deciding what to put on because of what you want, not because of what they're pushing. So you get feedback from people. Easy. So those things are easy to do because you don't have to charge anybody. People get so scared of that. Well, once you've tested something, it's going to be a natural process. If you do give somebody um, an hour of teaching them how to do vegan cooking, and then you ask them what they like, and then you do it again with a little bit of a tweak, which is what you do after you get the feedback, you'll be surprised. The person's going to say, can I pay you for this? What does this cost? Mm -hmm. I do like this. I want to do this. I want these vegan brownies. Can you make me four more of these gluten-free cheesecakes? What does that cost? Then you already have an answer key because there's a market for everything. There's a market for candles. There's a market for glasses. There's a market for gymnastic clothing. There's a market for everything. So you can look at the market and you can start somewhere near the bottom to middle. And you can say, here's what it costs. Yep. Like this is what a house costs with that much square footage on that block. Like you don't, you're not inventing the market. You're just saying, great. And then you can find how to scale it by creating an avenue to find more people like the person who just bought that cooking glass from you. And then we start to learn how do we really market? And we market through intimacy, right? People buy from having had an experience. You're more likely to buy from the guy who sells you the demonstration at Costco than just to buy whatever else is on the shelf. You want an experience of it. So then that also becomes fun and easy because sales is never about convincing someone of something. It's giving someone an experience of something. It's like, just come test drive this Lexus and then you'll decide if you want to buy the car. I don't have to sell it to you. Just come try on a wedding dress and then you'll decide which one you want. Like, just come have an experience. So then what do we do is we create an experience for people. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you are a wedding photographer, right? And you decide to have a podcast and there's 25 other wedding photographers in your neighborhood, but you're the one who has a podcast, people can experience a lot actually about the way you work, how collaborative you are, your personality through your podcast. How else could they experience that? Through your Instagram. Maybe on your Instagram, you are sharing aspects. And then how do people buy? They buy from people they know, like, and trust. So it's all really not about the numbers. It's about the engagement. So then we teach people, engage, have conversations with five people, ask them to say more about themselves, right? Like there's there's also this belief people have of like, well, I don't want to sell. And it's like, well, here, here's the thing. If somebody today woke up and they're looking for a crock pot, they're going to buy it from someone anyway. So you you could be the one to offer it, right? Like if somebody's looking for a jacket, they're buying a jacket. If somebody is going to look for a beautiful set of mugs that are like potted mugs that's a potter made, they're going to go on Etsy and find it anyway. So you may as well be there. And what we learn is money is everywhere. It's all around. Money is on the other side of solving a problem. It could be the problem of a better cup of coffee. And then there's a lot we do with like the story we're telling, right? So like are you really selling cupcakes or are you telling the story of like why you made a $7 cupcake 
And now people have to experience it because they know they can get a cupcake for 75 cents, but yours is $7. Why is it $7? Oh, because this is vegan. Oh, it's because this is a women-owned, women-led business and every single cupcake is branded. Like these are the Frida cupcakes. These are the Ruth Bader Ginsburg cupcakes. And so now it's a story I'm telling that when I put them at the party, there's this little hint of like a message. So I'm not really buying the cupcake. I'm buying a story and then stories sell. But all of this stuff is actually really fun and it's not hard. And when I take people through this process, it's one half step at a time. So we're just beginning with giving something away for free and then asking people a few questions about it. what did you like about it? What would you change about it? Then we're improving upon it. And then we're going to say, would you like it? And here's what it costs. And now we're going to start to grow and deepen an audience and find more people just like that person. And then we're going to let ourselves get paid. We're going to drop all of the blocks to making money and enjoy making money. And then I have a whole bunch of things I teach people around making money because people get so sticky there and there's no reason for that. Um, And that's a whole beautiful spiritual conversation, which I really think is my signature thing is helping people allow a lot of money into their life. And it's amazing the way we are, we're so oriented to being an ego that we have a really, we have a really hard time with abundance. I've watched many of your videos, so let's get that out in the open. Um, (laughs) But you, you quote, Brene Brown, and it's the joy factor, right? That our like ego gets in the way and doesn't let us fully experience joy. That that it's actually the most like a vulnerable feeling and the best feeling, but it's the most challenging to feel because of that you know boundary that we set. And I think for people listening, there's probably a lot, um, a lot they can take away from not only you know, being able to break down those walls and move forward, but also the simplicity of your approach in just getting started. Like all you got to do is pick something. That's it. Like, and we get so caught up in, well, it's got to be the perfect thing and it's got to be the best thing, or it's got to be exactly made for me and just picking something and moving down to the, the feedback part of it, right? Like it allows people to feel like it's much more easy to do than we make it out to be in our our heads. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, for me, I went to Jerusalem after college for like two weeks and I stayed for three years. So I became really deeply oriented to life through a lens of oneness and wholeness and vibration and spirituality. And then I studied for three years at the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center and like just really moved into memorizing a part of my being that has like this lightness of being. That's like really not about Kathy Heller. That's a story. That's a fictitious like narrative. My parents could have called me anything, right? Like, but when I was conceived that first moment, this unchanging part of me is this more, you know, endless, this consciousness, this high vibe, this part of me that is, was, and will be this part of me that's electricity. You know, when somebody dies in the ER, even if they're physically there, they'll be like, oh, this person just passed away. And then what they try to do is they try to revive the person sometimes. And what they do to revive them is they take paddles that can try to recreate an electric signal in the body. And then if the electric signal comes back on, they say, they're here, they're alive. So 
So then what's that about, right? Are they the body or are they the signal? Because if they were the body and they were in the room, we'd say they're still here, but they're not because they died. So what's the part that dies? It's the signal. It's the electricity. It's the radio. It's the reception, right? That's who we really are is that energy that that's really that unchanging part of us, right? Because we've all changed our bodies. My body looked different when I was six months old, four years old, 15. Uh, my chain, I've changed my taste in clothes. I've changed my taste in food. But what hasn't changed is this kind of like element of me that was always like me, my soul, my personality. So I say this because everything you just said about like, we don't let ourselves take the first step, that's all ego, right? We're just really, um, the reason meditation is so helpful, the reason uh, being present is so helpful is because we can ask ourselves this question, like, I wonder what my next thought is going to be. I wonder what my next thought's going to be. And when you ask a question like that, you kind of like short circuit your mind. And then you think to yourself, who's asking that question? And you go, oh, there's this part of me that has the ability to witness my experience right now in this moment. I can witness how I'm actually feeling right now. I can witness without judgment, like all of the things that my body feels physically, the smell, the taste. I can also witness this present part of me, this part of me that's like always present. That's where all the creativity is. That's where all the magic is. That's that presence, that that lightness of being. So I say that because when we're not plugged into that every morning, what happens is our brain runs a program. We have a subconscious part of our brain that takes up 95% of the brain. And it just runs a script of all the things we're trying to protect ourselves from. Because the brain, that's like the main thing it's trying to do is protect you from danger. So what we do is we create a real landmine that's all made of perception, right? Because a bug with a hundred eyes, even if they're sitting in the same room with you, they perceive reality totally differently. A bat with no sight perceives reality different, but they're in the same reality, right? So I say all this because I really study and love and geek out on science and spirituality and God consciousness. And what is that? What is God? What is that infinite intelligence, that one divine you know, spark we're all seeking? When you're connected to that every single morning of your life, you just are free of the program. You're free of all the stuff. You're not trying to protect yourself. You're seeing reality as it actually is, which is this wide open field of endless energy and current. It's a current, right? So when you're plugged into that, you just can have a blast. But most people are so worried about getting hurt. They don't want people not to like them. So they don't try things. They're just going to play at a very limited level of their creativity, of their mind, of their depth, all that stuff, because they really deep down subconsciously believe they could get hurt or they could get cast aside or they won't belong if they do something messy or they say the wrong thing. And so they, they play in this place where they're really trapped in their mind and in their vibration, right? So with money and abundance, we, 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 we sort of like sing, single it out like, oh, money. Oh my gosh. Are you a good person if you have money? Are you a bad person if you have money? I mean, that's, that's so fascinating because it's not the end all be all, right? We really want an abundance of everything. We want an abundance of energy, bliss, oxygen, right? We want an abundance of money too, because money is a resource. You can exchange it for all kinds of things that bring you more, more energy. So when you are feeling abundant, because you are abundant, you're not an ego, but you're like, connected to this part of you that's energy. It's amazing how you just become a magnet for abundance. But we're so like, I got to prove myself. It's like not interesting. Like no one's interested in that. And there's so much, there's just so much more room and so much more space and so many more ideas. And every billion dollars ever made anyway came on the other side of a 
creative thought, mm-hmm. right? Like Disney, he had to think of that. And then he made that, right? The iPad, you think of that, then you make that. It's actually creativity that's the hook into abundance. It's creativity. How do you get creative? You gotta be in a state of wholeness. If a deer is in fight or flight because it hears a gunshot, it's not gonna create anything. It doesn't repair its cells. It just goes into like pupils dilate, blood goes to the extremities. There's no creation happening. Well, when they hook up people to measure this now, they see that human beings are in fight or flight all day long and there is no tiger in the living room. It's just like a constant fear of like, it, we get rattled by what could happen if my sister-in-law finds this out, what could happen if this person on social media actually doesn't like me? And we just simulate this feeling. Well, when we do that, we're not creating anything because we're not in wholeness. There's no magnet. There's no energy. So I say to people, if you really want to create abundance in your life, it starts with an abundance of energy. And right now your energy is all bottled up in fear. Man, yeah, that's, I, I can, I relate so much to what you're saying in my own experience, but also in, in coaching and teaching and, and getting people started in a process or making growth exactly. in that, that mindset they default to, which is like fight or flight. They're constantly in the the defense mode and how much it limits their thinking and what I what I try to relate this to is that that feeling of of pain or that feeling of discomfort that uh, people are so often afraid of leaning into is actually like the growth phase. Like that 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 discomfort that you're feeling is potential growth, and you shouldn't be scared of it or shouldn't lean away from it. And lean away from it. In fact, lean into it. And then there's this wall that you talked about earlier of thinking you need to be perfect or thinking you're going to be judged or being scared of the outcome and what I what I summarized in my mind from what you guys were saying is it's like progress over perfection, right? Like mm-hmm. it's make steps, just get the ball rolling. And if, if purpose and this like value that you create for the world is like the first step, but to get that that clarity. And then uh, you'd mentioned, I think it was like, there's a couple different approaches of it's like make something, teach something, curate something, create a service, just start the ball rolling and be okay with what you learn. And you may go a completely different direction, but it's just getting the process going. That's it. I've got to ask because you talk about unbecoming, like you unbecome what you are not or or what isn't you. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what it takes to unbecome something, whether that's from a mindfulness perspective, a spiritual perspective, like how, how do you unbecome something you don't want to be? Yeah. I mean, it's all the things that we were just talking about. It's starting to notice where you are scared because that's creating a false boundary for you where there's so much more oxygen. There's so much more playfulness. And so a lot of times uh, I asked Julia Cameron, who wrote this book called The Artist's Way, I said, do you think every person is really creative? And she said, have you ever walked into a preschool and seen a three-year-old that's not creative? And I said, no, it's a good point. And she said, right, but why are they creative? Because they're willing to be messy. They're willing to get sand in their hair and paint on their nose. And like, at some point we stop having fun and we stop playing and we stop being creative and we start being more worried about predicting things because we want to predict it. We want to control it. We want to control how people will perceive us. We want to figure out how to prepare. We And we, we stifle all the fun. We take away all the creativity. And by the way, we can never control how other people perceive. That's the one thing you can't do for other people is perceive for them. People mm-hmm. have their own perception, their own projections, their own. 
So you can be clean about that. You can just let people, there's no problem if people don't like you. It's a problem that you think it shouldn't happen. You don't like everybody. Why do they need to like you? Why do you need to belong to everybody? Everybody is free. Some people say, I don't like Indian food. I don't like sushi. I don't like Seinfeld. It's like, there are people who can't believe that. Like, how is that possible? You're not, <laughs> you're, not you're not alive, yeah. you know? And it's like, they're entitled to their preference. And some people are going to say, I can't stand you. And it's like, all right, well, that's allowed. I'm okay if that's your that's where you come. It really is okay. Like as long as you don't physically go out of your way to like harm somebody else, right? That mm-hmm. that's a whole other level of really we're we're not going to move so far as a species if we're just allowed to like physically, you know, harm people. But the truth is we can never control how people perceive us. And my point is unbecoming is really what do we really want? When someone says they want a million dollars, when someone says they want success, when someone says they want an amazing relationship, the sponsoring feeling behind that is usually freedom. You want to feel free. Well, you could be free today. If you just decide to actually go to Thanksgiving dinner and sit where you want, say what you want, be who you are and let people have their own experience and allow them to feel whatever they're feeling, you're free, right? So it's a lot of real codependency is really what it is. And we want to be we want to belong so badly that we choose belonging over authenticity. And that's that's where we start to feel, un, you know, we don't feel good. But that's not somebody else's fault. That's just because we're so hooked into needing them to co-sign us, right? So if we can if we can unhook from that, we'll be we'll feel great. And then and then we can give people the respect that like they can have their emotions, they can have their feelings. So I think we all have created a lot of survival skills, which at one point kept us feeling safe and kept us feeling like we could navigate a situation, an environment. That's the unbecoming. It's really tiring. It's exhausting to do that. And so I think we can go back to our like six-year-old self and be like, you don't have to live there anymore. You know, I'm in charge. It's okay. I got this, right? I'm going to just, I'm going to live from this place that feels really aligned, that feels really exciting, that feels really magical. And that's it. That's yeah, really like, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you can't be all things to all people and you need to be okay with that. And that's why, why I'm connecting with what you're saying. It's like, that's why it's so important to know like what, who you are and what you provide and just be proud and, and lean into that versus trying to be something that you're not. Well, it's just a really powerful thought that codependency holds you back from being your authentic self. Like that's something that, I don't think I've ever thought that way. And now I'm definitely like when you're making choices and you're thinking, is this rooted in codependency or is this rooted in me trying to be my authentic self? Like there's there's probably decisions to be made by me or the listener or, or whomever, but it's just a it's really powerful to think about. Yeah. I agree. How do you a little bit of a, a shift, but I'm curious, like knowing that you the way that you approach um this process and what you shared with us already, like how do you set goals or bigger goals? Like, how do you think about the kind of the more distant future and, and where you're headed and what tools you use to kind of navigate that? I mean, I just want to be as big as a vehicle as I can for love and goodness and excitement and enthusiasm. And so I kind of just keep leaning into like, Oh, this is that next little whisper of like what feels exciting. And I should kind of lean into this. And that's really it. I, I noticed that any tendency to plan would come from me being short-sighted on like how much is really possible. And it's like my ego's way of like thinking I have to plan it or else 
what, I mean, it's, it's all the, all the good stuff comes in the spontaneity. So I really try not to plan, but I do feel that my goal is to be the greatest, you know, catalyst for goodness, light, blessing, you know, that I can be. And I really think about keeping my eyes open for those opportunities all the time. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we, we, the reason why I ask that is because we we teach and we believe like having a north star like having a vision for where you want to go or who you want to become or what you want to offer yeah that north star that helps you make more short term decisions and so I was just curious how you approach that but we're saying very similar things you're just you're focusing on the like who and the what you want to create from a value perspective yeah and it's beautiful what you said finding that you know focusing on the north star and i think the real thing is that Every day I'm trying to widen the aperture, right? Because if I pick up my phone, my camera has better vision than I do because my camera will see what's actually here, whereas I'll see through a subjective lens. And so most of the time when people tell you where they're at or what's possible, what their goals are, they're not seeing reality with a capital R. They're not seeing how it's all really possible. They're seeing within a very small framework based on their core beliefs about what's possible, what's not, what's good enough about them, what's not good enough. There's just so much we don't reach for. So I feel like one of the main goals for everybody would be, can you see if you can widen the aperture, like open the lens and see what's really here and then just get excited because it's all, there's really that potential here for you to do so many things um, and have such incredible experiences. So beyond maybe what your goal would even be. So I would just like challenge that in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I like the aperture. It's like expand the aperture to let more in, but then dial the, the, like the acuteness of what you catch as it comes through. Yeah. And also I would say in, in, in seeing things come to fruition, it usually is a lot more about the blocks we're removing to allow it to happen than it is making it happen. It's like so Mm -hmm. much happens when you're just like, when it is like a fait accompli, because you are just energetically like aligned and you're vibrating and you're so into this thing, it's like out of the blue, someone's going to be like, oh my God, you know who you should meet? Like, because it's like a radio and you're just singing that song. And now next thing you know, you just hear everything else that's on that station. And so a lot of times people just feel pretty crappy all the time. And then they wonder why their goals aren't working out. It's like, well, you don't really stand for that. You're not really a match for that. You're not really vibrating at that radio station. You're kind of vibrating at this very limited, you're kind of giving off a lot of like static. So that's why it's not happening because you're in this, like there, there's a a musical phenomenon, which is that if you took two guitars and you put them next to each other and you pluck the F string or the G string on this guitar the other guitar, the F string will vibrate. The C string will vibrate. Mm-hmm. It's resonance. And so people don't really know that that's actually what you're doing too. So if you're in like, I'm doing this thing, I'm starting a podcast. I'm so excited. It's like, it's done. You just opened up all these portals. But if you're like, I don't know, I'm trying to do a podcast. It's really hard. I'm not, da, 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 da. it's like, mm, it's going to be kind of sticky. Like Mm -hmm. you'd be amazed when you cut your finger, your whole body immediately goes to repair it because your body is not net neutral. It's net positive. It's constantly working to repair itself. 
the whole universe is like that. Everything. So when you are putting something in the world, immediately everything is designed that way. And I'm just talking from a scientific perspective. So we're kind of working against ourselves all the time because we're like, I say I want all these things, but really I feel mostly cynical, tired, fatigued, upset. I'm focusing my attention on all these things that are lack and I give off a lot of lack and I kind of drain my own energy because I complain about it. And then I'm, I'm continuously saying like, why are these things not happening? It's like, well, you're, you're in a pool of that. You're, you're reverberating off yourself. So you got to change that. Mm. I'll never forget. I had a conversation with a coworker a while back and we were similar age and we we're trying to, you know, start a friendship. Uh, we we're on a lady date and she had had one failed relationship right after another. And you could tell like she was visibly not okay. She felt very sad about the fact that like it was just one negative thing that was happening on another. But instead of coming to the conversation and being like, I'm open to whatever the next step is, like that was an opportunity for me to learn and grow. She just kept sitting in the shit and it perpetuated. And that was the energy that she gave off in that conversation. It was the energy that, you know, she put off at work. And I think that that's such an important like thing to think about is just your energy and what you're bringing in and what your output is. Because to your point, like anything is possible if you just sit at that high, high frequency. Um, And I think it's so important to think about when you're like when you think you're at rock bottom, you have a choice to either stay there or change your mindset and like grow from that. And yeah. I think that's like amazing. harmonize, as you say, like yeah. harmonize with the things that you want to create. So, you know, match the energy of like who you want to become. Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. Well, Kathy, we love having you. And there is a question that we ask at the end of every episode, which is, if there's one thing you would have our audience take away from this episode, what would it be? You are really an extension of the divine. Like if, if God is the sun, you're a ray of the sun. The idea that this infinite intelligence is infinite it means there's nowhere it isn't so it's in it's inside of everything it's it's energy it's pulsing through us and when we connect with that we really know who we really are and then our job is to stop trying to prove ourselves is just to be a vehicle for more of that to be expressed in the world i love that it's awesome and then of course if anyone's listening wants to purchase your book listen to the podcast, where do our listeners go to check you out? You can come to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can type in Kathy Heller with Kathy's with a C or you can type in don't keep your day job. But sometimes people type that wrong, which is why we're going to rename the podcast just because it's make it easier. Six, 650 episodes in, we're going to rename it. Um, <laughs> and Or you can find me on Instagram at Kathy Heller. And I post something every single day. I post it myself. You can find me in the DMs if you enjoyed this conversation. So come say hi. And thank you for being so like present and loving and being so genuinely interested. I receive it. It's well, great. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks, yeah. Kathy. Yeah. Thank you, guys. 
Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.